It is probable that the writer of the hymn that we just sung spent time in nature, isn't it? I mean, he sings of it. He talks about it as if he knew what he was talking about. And, and, most, er, and, and undoubtedly, it provided him with a, a sense of comfort and relief and a reorientation to God and to, in life. And, um, and, I, and, and I would wonder if there are places like that for you, just places in which you can go to kind of reset and rejuvenate and um, to see God's hand and to reflect upon life and um, as it is true in nature, I'm sure for a lot of you, there are places in the scriptures that you can go to, return to over and over and over again to, to receive help and comfort and aid in times of trouble. And for many Christians throughout the centuries and across the globe, I would imagine that the text that we're going to turn to this morning is such a text. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew 6, 25 through 34. It's on page 811 in the Pew Bibles. And again, I think that this is a familiar text to a lot of Christians. And it's familiar because of where it is located. It's found in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, fami- and it's familiar probably because this is an issue that a lot of us struggle with, the issue of anxiety. But if you've never come across this text, then I want to introduce it to you. I trust that it will be helpful, not only because it is new to you, but also because of the subject matter that it addresses. So it is a tradition in our church to stand for the reading of God's word, and so if you would stand with me as I read this portion of scripture for us. Again, we're in Matthew 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and... Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time that we have this morning. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful that we can gather together as your people Thank you that you give us wisdom for life. Thank you that you speak truth to us. Thank you that you instruct and you teach us, that you do not leave us to ourselves. As God, I pray that we would avail ourselves of such instruction and of such wisdom this morning. I pray that you would help us as a people to receive and to believe and to live according to your word. I pray that you'd help me as the preacher to communicate these things clearly and persuasively. 
And I pray, Father, for all of us that we would sit under your word and that we would be a people who are being shaped by your truth and by your voice. And I pray that as we do that, that you would receive glory and that we would receive blessing and all of that just would be good in your church this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome, children, and welcome to those who are joining us online. We're so glad to be together. We're glad for squirmy bums, and we're glad for technology that allows us to gather in this format. Now, as I was reading that text, um, you know, there were some questions that were asked. And um, some of the questions are put in the form of, you know, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Now, if you've ever been in such a position where you've literally had to ask where your next meal would come from, or how you would afford to provide for your family, or how you would place clothing onto their backs, I would imagine that that would be a scary and a fearful experience. And perhaps some of you have been in such a spot in life. But admittedly, those kinds of questions are a little bit less frequent in the developed West. Most of us in 21st century southern Ontario are not asking questions at least at that level. We're not literally wondering where our next meal will come from, and we're not literally wondering uh, if we can make adequate provisions for clothing and for shelter. And so you would think that if those are the kinds of things that would have caused anxiety, and that's what Jesus addresses, you would think that because you and I live in the West and we are in a developed country and we have ample provision, that there would be less anxiety in your life, that there would be less anxiety in my life, and there would be less anxiety in our society. What I'm saying is that because we have ample provision, you would think that anxiety would be less in your life and in mine, and in the society around us. But we know that's not the case. In fact, we have many of our own anxieties. Some related anxieties would be, you know, anxiety over paying the bills, or anxiety over finding a job, or if you have a job, over keeping that job, and all of these things so that we can provide for those under our care. You know, but the list doesn't stop there. We can add a whole host of other anxieties. If you're, um, you know, maybe in a social setting, you can... Be anxious about what other people are thinking about you. If you're a little bit younger, you might be anxious about an upcoming exam. You might be anxious as a young person about what you're going to do with your life or what career you're going to pursue. From a mental health standpoint, you can say, you know, what if I never overcome my anxiety and depression? What if this is always going to be a part of my life and my experience? Maybe a little bit older, you can say, well, you know, what, what if my children don't turn out the way that I want them to? What if the market crashes? What if I get sick or lose my health? What if our rights and liberties are completely stripped from us? And so on and on it goes. It's an ironic thing, isn't it? That we in the West, who have ample provision, are actually in some ways some of the most anxious people on earth. So even though we do have ample provision for the basic necessities of life, we do find ourselves in a position where we are perhaps more anxious than ever. You know, sometimes, you know, I do this wee thought experiment and think of how cool it would have been to live in the time of Jesus, to have lived in that part of the world at that time in history and to experience and to observe Christ in his ministry. Wouldn't it have been cool to 
see him welcome the children to himself and to see how he would have interacted with young people? Wouldn't it have been cool to see him perform miracles? I'm thinking of the feeding of the 5,000 and how he fed that massive multitude from a few loaves and a few fish. Wouldn't it have been interesting and, and, and great to watch him take on the religious establishment in Jerusalem of the day and to stand for divine truth and come up against man-made tradition and just to see him go, you know, kind of spar with the religious leaders of the day? And I also think that it would have been amazing and marvelous to hear him teach. Even as a 12-year-old, the religious leaders in Jerusalem were impressed with Christ, his wisdom, and his ability to communicate through words. It would have been amazing to hear his teaching, to hear his wisdom and clarity on life's most pressing issues. Now think about your life for just a moment. Think of all the things that stress you out. Think of the things that cause you to become fearful. Think of the things that make you anxious. And wouldn't it be nice if Christ would just speak to that? Well, my friends, I can assure you that he does, in fact, speak to our anxiety. And he does so in this portion of the Bible that I just read, not by giving us specific answers to all of our questions, but by giving us clear principles to help us to navigate through them. Let me just remind us that we are in this portion of the scriptures called the Sermon on the Mount. It is probably, arguably, the most famous biblical sermon in broader Western society. And it is the most commentated upon portion of the Bible throughout church history. In other words, it's really important and it's foundational for the people of God. It is foundational for you and for me as people who are part of Maple Avenue Baptist Church as followers of Jesus. In this foundational sermon, in this foundational document, Jesus devotes an entire section to the issue of anxiety. And listen, not, not because Christians are people who do not struggle with anxiety, but for the very opposite reason. There's a portion of the Sermon on the Mount devoted to the issue of anxiety, probably and likely because Christians are people who struggle with anxiety, and we need God's help to navigate through it. We're going to look at the sermon under two movements, two headings, two points. We're going to keep it simple and organized this morning. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you two remedies for the disciples' anxiety. Two remedies for the disciples' anxiety. And remedy number one is this. You do not have to be anxious because God is trustworthy. You do not have to be anxious because God is trustworthy. And we see that in verses 25 through 30. Okay? As we work through this section, as we work through this passage, as, as, as I, and even as I read it earlier, I'm sure that some of you notice something. And that's this, that Jesus attacks our anxiety from a multitude of angles and a variety of perspectives. Here's what I mean by that, okay? In this short passage, Jesus asks questions. Jesus appeals to common sense. He points us to nature. He references the scriptures. He teaches basic theology, okay? He invites us, he commands us, he rebukes us, and he instructs us. So just as a point of application or a point of help for us is that sometimes our anxiety is actually most helped when we apply a variety of um, remedies to it or a variety of angles from which we address it. In other words, to address anxiety sometimes head on and directly is actually not the most helpful approach. Sometimes to address our anxiety by asking questions, by appealing to the scripture, by looking to nature, by instructing, by rebuking, by 
um, you know, by inviting and using all of these multitude of methods is actually what can be the most effective. And what Jesus is communicating here in 25 through 30 is simply this, that God is trustworthy. That God is trustworthy to provide for his creation, and God is trustworthy to provide for you and for me, his people. Let's begin by looking at the birds. Jesus says, take a good look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, and they don't gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Okay? Birds do not till the ground. They don't harvest in the fall. They don't store food into barns. They don't have grocery stores. They don't have pantries. They don't have dry storage. And yet somehow they are provided for. God has designed the world in such a way that animals and birds are able to find food and sustenance in their natural habitat. And as the one who sustains the world and brings about the rains and the seasons, it is God who feeds the birds of the air. And then Jesus makes this logical argument, it's a simple argument from the lesser to the greater, and he appeals to the Bible's teaching that human beings are created in the image of God, right? So if you're created in the image of God, then you are superior, more valuable than birds. And so Jesus says, is it not reasonable then to conclude that if God provides for the birds of the air, is it not reasonable to conclude that he will provide for you his image bearers and also for his people, the church? This is what Jesus is arguing. He's saying if the birds of the air are Fed, would it not be reasonable to conclude that God will provide for all of our needs, for everything that we need when we want and how He, or sorry, when He wants and how He wants in the way that He has designed, and yet He will provide for our needs? And so Jesus is taking us, our eyes away from ourselves onto the birds and then ultimately onto God. Moving on in our text, Jesus goes on to ask a very practical question. He says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? So here's what tends to happen in our lives, okay? We see some potential obstacles or some potential dangers in our life, some what-if situations about things that might happen that might be a, a danger or an obstacle. And we know that it's not within our control to change those circumstances. We know that there's this potential danger, this potential obstacle, and there's not a whole lot that we can do about it, and so we begin to worry. And so we reason to ourselves, okay, there's this potential danger, potential obstacle. I can't do much about it, but at least I can worry. Maybe that will help, right? And we know the folly of that. We know that if our friend said that to us, if, our, if we were here to hear others reason that way to us, we would say, well, that's a little bit absurd. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and yet we reason that way all the time. I can't do anything about it, so let me worry about it. That might help it. Jesus appeals to common sense. And then we're going to turn to the lilies of the field. Before this, I just want you to think about your house for a second. I don't know about you, um, but the glasses or the vessels in my house are not made of pure gold. And I don't have shields in my, my house, maybe you do, but even if you have shields in your house, they're probably also not made of pure gold. 
And if I were to give you the option of a chunk of stone or a chunk of silver, I would bet that you would take the silver. Now, in the days of Solomon, who reigned as Israel's king at the height of Israel's monarchy, roughly 1000 BC, um, all the vessels of his house were made of gold. And, and, and the shields of his army, of his soldiers, were also made of gold. And precious metal was so common in Israel in the day that the biblical writers tell us that essentially silver and stone were of comparable value. So unsurprisingly then, Solomon as the king over that realm, as the king over that kingdom, would have had the finest and the best of attire. He would have had the most glorious and beautiful of clothes. He would be dressed in the finest. And Jesus says that Solomon's dress does not even compare to the lilies of the fields of Palestine. And you might be saying, okay, what in the world does Solomon's clothing have to do with my anxiety? Well, this is, this is the logic. Okay, this is the argument. More impressive than Solomon's clothing are the lilies of the field. Okay? And more important than the grass of the field are you, the people of God. So what... Jesus is arguing here is he's saying that if God sees to it to care for this passing world, then will he not much more care for you, clothe you who belong to an eternal world? If God is concerned with caring for the lilies of the field, then can he also not clothe and provide for you, his children? That's the argument. And then moving on finally, just to how Jesus diagnoses the problem. It can be frustrating, can it, for there to be something the matter, something wrong, and for there to be just a lack of diagnosis. I'm thinking particularly in the medical world where you might have a particular issue, and you're being ping-ponged back and forth between doctors and experts, and they can't seem to figure it out. That can be a frustrating thing. Jesus, as the master teaches us, leaves us in no such predicament. He actually diagnoses the problem of our anxiety for us. Look with me to the end of verse 30. O you of little faith. We have to be careful in the way that we hear this passage. We, we must understand Jesus' intent and meaning to us. You see, if you were to go up to, let's say, someone who wasn't overly aware of the Bible's teaching concerning your worries and your anxieties, and you were to kind of spill your guts to them, I would venture to say that you would receive some sort of counsel like, well, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to turn out, and so you don't need to worry as much as you are right now. And if that's what you're hearing from this passage, or if that's how you've read this passage in the past, let me just say that that's not what Jesus is saying in this passage. Jesus' chief concern is not to inform us that all our circumstances are going to be okay. Jesus' chief concern is not to reduce our anxiety because everything is going to be okay. No, what Jesus is doing is that he is revealing to us that, our, um, that when we are unduly anxious over temporal needs, it reveals a littleness of faith. Okay? What I'm trying to say here is that when we are anxious, 
about our temporal needs, when we are anxious about um, kind of the, the matters of, of, of the matters of this life, when we have an undue anxiety about them, when we are overwhelmed in our hearts, when our hearts are agitated to the point of worry about temporal matters, what that reveals about you and what that reveals about me is that we have a lot of confidence in ourselves and little confidence in God. We have come to believe that our sustenance, our shelter, and our well-being are ultimately dependent upon me, which implies that it's not dependent upon God. And so Jesus' chief concern in this passage is to move us away from self-sufficiency to God-dependency, to take our eyes off of our own ability and to place them onto God's ability to care for us. Now I want to clarify something just so that I'm being clear It's not wrong to plan or to think about the future. It's not ungodly to be concerned about our health or our family or even broader society. In fact, in other places in the Bible, it's very clear that the people of God are to provide for those people who are under their care, particularly their spouse and their children. So as one Bible teacher puts it, it, what Jesus forbids here is neither thought nor forethought, but anxious thought. What Jesus is condemning here is a self-sufficient approach to life rather than a God-dependent one. And so as long as we think that we are, our well-being is ultimately our responsibility and in our hands and up to us and not in God's, then we will have little faith which manifests itself in anxiety. Just as a side note, let me just say that I think that our anxiety is spot on when we're thinking that way. I think our anxiety tells us, well, something is wrong, something's not quite right, and the anxiety is right, and our trust is wrong. Let me explain what I mean by that. You and I were never meant to place such a strong and heavy burden upon ourselves where we think that our well-being and our taking care of ourselves are ultimately in our own hands. The Bible makes clear, and our anxiety also indicates to us, that we are not meant to ultimately take care of ourselves, but we are to leave that in God's hands. When we think that our well-being and and, and taking care of ourselves is ultimately dependent upon me, of course it's going to produce anxiety. Of course you're going to be agitated in your heart. Of course you're going to be worried. And Jesus says, hey, listen, 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 people of God, you don't have to be anxious because God is trustworthy and he will care for your needs. If you are anxious, it is because you have a misplaced trust. Second, you don't have to be anxious because the kingdom is your priority. The kingdom is your priority. I think that sometimes as Christians we can... um, look down on those outside of the church and on their lifestyle. And so we can bemoan, you know, maybe perhaps we think that our non-Christian family and friends, that they have a pretty shallow outlook on life. We can maybe um, condemn them of, of being materialistic and only pursuing the things of this life. Uh, maybe they're, they're obsessed with um, earning more money, uh, getting a bigger house, driving better cars, going on larger vacations. We look down upon them because they are materialistic and live for stuff. 
And sometimes that manifests itself in the things that they're concerned and worried about. We can look down on, on them. But look with me to verse 31. He says, Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Verse 32, For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Now, just so that we're clear, the word Gentile here, at least in the way that I'm, we're applying it, it refers to non-disciples. It refers to those who are outside of the people of God. And so, so listen, if, if anybody is going to be materialistic, if anybody is going to be consumed with anxiety over meeting their temporal needs, it's going to be the Gentiles. In one sense, the Gentiles are doing their part by pursuing the things of this life. And how could we blame them? Human always pursue that which they find security in and that which they find satisfaction in. And the best that the Gentiles have are false gods on the one hand and temporal satisfactions on the other. They pursue those things with all their might because they believe that it is those things that will, that will satisfy them and it is those things that will give them security. Let me put it this way. Gentiles who do that they are consistent with their worldview. What Jesus is saying is that the person who is inconsistent is the Christian who is consumed with anxiety over the things of this world. Let me say that again. A non-Christian who is consumed with anxiety over the things of this world and therefore live for the things of this world, that person is consistent. The person who is inconsistent is the Christian who is anxious, uh, who is, sorry, who is consumed with anxiety over the things of this world. And that's what Jesus gets after in verse 33. Okay? He says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus wants us to be about the kingdom. Let me just briefly tell you about that kingdom. Okay? This kingdom has been in the works since before time began. And God has been powerfully and meticulously bringing the pieces of this kingdom together throughout history. In the Old Testament, God called the people to himself, the nation of Israel, and he entered into covenant with them. You can think of it as a marriage. He entered into marriage with them. He gave them a land and he dwelt among them in the tabernacle and in the temple. He gave them a law to govern them as a nation. And he gave them a sacrificial system so that a holy God could relate with sinful people. But this was only a preview of the kingdom which was to come. A kingdom, by the way, which is future even for us. And what the Bible teaches about the coming kingdom is that it will be a place where peace and not conflict will be the rule. A kingdom in which the laws uh, and the rules will be applied consistently and without partiality. A kingdom without disease, a kingdom without pain, and a kingdom without anxiety. A kingdom which will be absent from the things which plague your life and mine. Now let me finally tell you about the king of this kingdom because he is of the most unusual sort. He is powerful and competent, which we expect of rulers. But he will rule for the good of his people, which that's not always guaranteed. And he will be a righteous king, which we know is rare. But what is most striking of all 
is that those who are citizens of that kingdom are citizens of that kingdom by virtue of the fact that the king died for them. You see, those who belong to this kingdom, those who belong to the kingdom that Jesus is referring to in verse 33, are granted access into that kingdom because he shed his blood for his people. So here's the logic of the passage, okay? Don't bow to money. Don't live for earthly treasures. Don't be anxious about temporal matters. And don't pursue the things of this world as your goal in life. Why? Because you belong to that kingdom. Which means then that all of our money, all of our possessions, all of our time, and all of ourselves are be put to use to love and serve that kingdom. Just quickly running through some points of applications. We are to live according to that kingdom's values by pursuing holiness. We are to hasten that kingdom's coming by believing prayer. We are to give to that kingdom's cause and spread. And we are to spread that kingdom's message through evangelism and missions. We are to love that kingdom's ways and we are to embody that kingdom's righteousness. And we as the, as the church are to be a foretaste of that kingdom. Oh, and by the way, I got on talking about this kingdom and its righteousness. Um, if you would do that, if that would be your goal in life, if that would be your ambition with the one life that God has given to you, he will provide for all of your needs. God will see to it that if you would prioritize his kingdom, then he will provide for your needs. That's what he says in verse 33, that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We consume ourselves and prioritize the kingdom of God, and he will see to it to provide for our needs. Then Jesus ends this section by just getting real practical with us again. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, on a road trip, you know, um, you fill up one tank at a time. And so if you're driving, let's say, 600 kilometers today, you don't fill up today for tomorrow's tank. And it would be strange for you to be worried that you're going to run out of gas tomorrow when you have a full tank of gas for today. And so what Jesus is saying here is that, you know, like, while there's nothing wrong with planning for the future, there's nothing wrong with giving thought to the future, to be anxious about the future is just futile. Because here's what you do, okay? If you're anxious about tomorrow, it doesn't reduce tomorrow's burden, but it increases today's. And Jesus saying is that if you're going to think about the future, fine, but if you're going to be anxious about the future, leave it alone. So that's Jesus and his words on anxiety. Now, there's been a lot of talk these days about political rulers and leaders, perhaps more than in other parts of our recent history, you know, about Prime Minister Trudeau and Premier Ford and, and their policies and regulations. There's the, you know, the new mandatory quarantine for air travelers. There's these color-coded zones in Ontario and the accompanying regulations. And, and you know, there's the vaccine schedule. And, you know, whether we enjoy that or not, we do belong to that kingdom. Um, we belong to the nation of Canada and to the province of Ontario, and we are under its respective rulers. 
But brothers and sisters, what the Sermon on the Mount reminds us is that we are part of a and belong to a higher kingdom. The kingdom of God and of his Christ, which operate according to a a totally different set of values and a totally different set of priorities and principles. And so I think what the Sermon on the Mount does for us is that even as we live in the kingdoms of Canada and of Ontario, which tend to produce a lot of anxiety, actually, Jesus calls you to live ultimately under his rule and reign. And part of what it means to live under his rule and reign is that we can rightly lay aside our anxiety because we are reminded of God's care for us as his children and we are reminded of the priority of God's kingdom. I don't want to say that we can live without any sort of anxiety because I think that's over-promising what the scriptures teach. But the anxiety in our hearts, the anxiety in our lives can be greatly reduced if we would live under the good rule and reign of gracious King Jesus. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. That's what this passage is doing as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. He's so good. Not just to die on the cross for us, For our salvation, but even in the way that he rules and reigns in his people, it is so good. Help us to love him. Help us to serve him. Help us to trust him above anything and all else. Help us to glorify him and to worship him. And I pray that as our eyes are fixed on God the Father and on God the Son and on God the Holy Spirit, I pray that an effect of that is that our anxiety would be reduced, that we would trust you more, and that you would be glorified thereby. God, you are so very good. Help us to trust you and your Son above all else. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.